Success isn't permanent, and failure isn't fatal. Mike Ditka. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, please say hello, hello, hello to AJ Mass. Hello, hello, hello. It is me, AJ Mass. How are you today, Kintad? Oh, great, AJ. Happy to be here for yet another episode. We are chugging along, man. Oh, about what? Those is 30, 35 down and uh, 300 or so to go. Well, I felt like we were checking along until you put those stark numbers into perspective for me. Thanks. Uh, folks, this podcast is about the television program Criminal Minds. Every week we recap and take an in-depth look, look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before. So it is a first watch perspective for me. AJ has seen each show, each episode many a time. He is our grizzled veteran, and uh, he's going to bring that perspective on each episode to you. So that's what we're here to do. We are your felonious pundits. (laughs) This week, (laughs) this week. Uh, We're going to profile season two, episode 12 of Criminal Minds, and this episode was entitled Profiler Profiled. That's Profiler, comma, Profiled. Victor slash Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) This episode was not uh, written by Blake Edwards. It was written by Edward Allen Bernaro and directed by Glenn Kershaw. It originally aired on December 13th, 2006. AJ, on December 13th, 2006, sadly, the Beiji, or Chinese River Dolphin, was officially announced as extinct. <laughs> and now, <laughs> on to our episode. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. I mean, that's something that's sad. Yeah. Anytime we... Uh, Lose a member of the biome. I'm always, you know, pouring a foot yeah. But not in the Yellow River because that would just cause the extinction of more yeah. aquatic mammals. Uh, wow. Yes. Wow. You know, instead of calling this, uh, you know, nostalgia, profile nostalgia or whatever the heck we decided to call it, I should just say, and now to bring everybody down, <laughs> just in case... That week's episode didn't bring you down, but there's probably a good chance that that week's episode brought you down anyway, because that's the kind of show this is. That's the show we do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, let, you know, let's start. Let's start. Uh, let's profile this episode. Let's let's start because we do, as as so often happens on the show, when that first scene is actually peppy and funny and ha ha. Yeah. Oh, you know, you were really, really, really downturned uh, almost immediately there. Yes, indeedy. So uh, we do start with a very cute scene in the BAU office. Reed is uh, with Garcia and JJ, and he's staring intensely at what appears to be like a little film canister. The kind, you know, you probably might have to be old to know what that is. (laughs) 
<laughs> or older, I should say. Uh, but yeah. Back in my day, when you took photos, you only had 24 Who's Me Watches, and you, if, you, if you clicked the button, it was blurry, or your thumb got in the way, you were screwed, because you only had 24, and you didn't know until weeks later, when they came back from the chemist shop, where you put it in order, dip it into chemicals, and return it to you, and then all of a sudden you were like, you got 22 black photos of just sheer darkness, because you forgot to take the lens cap off. And one of your yeah. fingers. Those were the days. Um, 1750s. <laughs> then it became a thing where you could do it overnight, but it was just, it was way too expensive if you wanted to do it overnight. So. And Robin Williams would try to yeah. kill you. Anyway, it's a film canister, AJ, that they're looking at. Uh, and it's bubbling at the bottom. It's bubbling at the bottom. Uh, and suddenly it just shoots off into the air like a little mini rocket. But unfortunately, it hits Prentice, who was just walking in, in the head. But Emily is not upset when she learns that this is all for the cause of witnessing physics magic, <laughs> as they put it. Uh, so she asks Reed to show her. So basically, he does it again. He he makes her turn around as he doesn't want to reveal his secrets and JJ and Garcia have to say, look, just trust us. You have to do this. He's not going to do it otherwise. So they turn around so he can basically, you know, what is it? Put Alka-Seltzer or something in there. It's like, it's not a huge yeah, secret. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's the Mentos and the Coke, essentially. It's some sort of chemical formulation. He's doing his physics magic. So uh, then he has them turn around, and he's doing it again. And this time he shoots the canister, and it lands at the suited feet of Hotch, who... Dad's here yeah, in trouble. <laughs> who is no fun, as usual. He says, Reed, what did I tell you before about the physics magic? Uh, so apparently this conversation has already been had. Reed apologizes. And uh, Hotch says uh, he is getting some good distance, though. Some really good distance this time. And he actually smiles as he turns around. So sometimes Hotch can uh, have a sense of humor, which actually kind of shocks Prentice. And she says, uh, so he does have a sense of humor. And they tell her sometimes he does. It's possible, basically. She uh, then asks where Morgan is, and Reed tells her that he's in Chicago, that he happens to go there every year for his mother's birthday. Aww. Now we cut, it's kind of a nice little fake out here, because we do cut to Chicago, and Morgan is standing at a cemetery, and you're like, oh, okay. Oh, all right. So I was thinking, obviously, that, oh, his mother must be uh, must be gone, no longer with us. It certainly was uh, what they could uh, have led you to believe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very nice uh, misdirect. So Morgan is there at the cemetery. He seems to be having a spiritual moment. His eyes are closed and he's just sort of, I guess, doing what you do at a gravesite. All of a sudden, we do hear a shutter clicking and see that someone is taking pictures of him through the viewpoint. Pardon me? <laughs> Physics yes, magic. physics magic. Uh, it, we see it through the viewpoint of of the camera. That's it's never a good sign in shows like this when someone is taking pictures of you, unbeknownst to you. Very true. 
Next, we cut to Morgan again, and he's walking out of the store with a woman who we are quick to learn. Her name is Desiree. And I'm sure we will find out soon when I'm first watching this, but it immediately felt like a familial sibling relationship to to me. I thought either brother, sister, or very close cousins. But uh, yeah, they're having some sort of silly conversation about whether they should have gotten butter or not. But as they turn the corner from this bodega or little store that they went to, there's like four or five sketchy looking dudes hanging out. And one of them comes over. He's all, Desiree, looking good. Damn, girl, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Morgan's like, uh, step off, Rodney, and tells uh, Desi to get in the car. And Derek gets all in his face. And Rodney continues to say little rude things to her. And Morgan threatens him, tells him he needs to stop. And Rodney's all, oh, you badass since they pay you to wear that gun, Mr. FBI. Morgan is all in his face and he's like, I proved a long time ago I don't need a gun to take you out. And we cut to a few shots of his boys looking on in anticipation. And uh, Rodney warns Morgan that he can't count on past history. And Morgan tells him he needs to just walk away. And so Rodney thinks about it for a second, looks at his boys, and then he does that. Yeah, I'm going to walk away, but somehow I still won little laugh, and he and his boys uh, uh, leave, basically. Rolling with the <laughs> Yeah, get on out of here. This is Derek Morgan's world, and you just living in it. Don't mess with the That's Morgan. right. Uh, Morgan tells Desi that he's taking her home because there's something he's got to go do. Now we cut to Morgan, and he's watching youths playing a football game. I'm sorry, did you say <laughs> the two youths? Uh, we see that the camera is still taking his picture, which is still not a good sign. This football game is taking in place in, in one of those inner city like parks, quote unquote. That's, a, you know, basically a square of crappy land surrounded by a chain link fence. Yeah. Even by even by uh, inner city standards, this is yeah. no rucker. No. This, is, <laughs> this is cheap, cheapo. Uh, you you made it yourself, five dollar. Yeah, grade. and the kids yeah. playing don't have like uniforms; they're just sweats and mixed match jerseys that they might happen to have. It's uh, so you can tell it's maybe sort of a a a poor thing, but it's something that's there for the community, uh, and it's in front of a community center. Speaking of, <laughs> uh, there is also a a coach who's yelling some coachy things at them. And I feel bad for Damien, who's getting yelled at and who apparently bites on the inside route every single time in his past coverage. And uh, then the coach tells them to pack up their stuff and they all head inside to the community center. And Morgan is standing there outside the fence, just sort of looking at all these activities. We cut next to our boy Damien, actually, coming out of the community center. Uh, And he's behind the wide receiver that must have juked him pretty bad. Um, he's telling him he pushed off on the last catch, and the receiver denies it heartily. And uh, they commence to a verbal sparring that eventually threatens to coalesce into, dare I say it, fisticuffs. But Morgan is there to break it up. He tells uh, Jerry Rice Jr. that he did push off uh, James. So his name is James, uh, not Jerry Rice Jr. Uh, and- 
and Damien is like, damn right. But Derek tells him, Damien, not to get all happy. He's getting beat off the line. Uh, and Damien's like, who are you anyway? And James says, uh, Damien, this is Derek Morgan. And hilariously to me, Damien is like, the Derek Morgan. Uh, this is Derek Morgan's town. Is, you just is Derek Morgan's town, Morganville. No, Chicago. It's his kind of town. James is like, yes, the FBI, Derek Morgan. Damien and Derek introduce themselves and, and do a little dap up. And then their party is broken up when a car pulls up with our gangstery guys from before. And they do one of those, I'm going to look at you drive-bys. <laughs> uh, a very slow roll that you know in most of these televised uh, affairs or movies uh, then suddenly coalesces into a, a an Uzi or other long range shooting device being uh, popped out of the passenger side window uh, and they don't want no scrubs they just want the bullets to be flying and uh, that's usually what happens and what I would have expected to happen had I been watching this for the first time yes. uh, however that doesn't happen we do see uh, Coach Carter run out of the community center uh, and uh, he's uh, waving a baseball bat like he's uh, Joe. Uh, I almost said. Yeah. Uh, I almost said Joe Lewis, but that's not right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he, he's swinging a bat and saying, yeah, you just keep going, guys. I'm a bad man. Basically, one of the gangsters just gives Morgan that universal I'm definitely going to shoot you one day, hand gesture, and then the car drives off. Coach Carter, or we'll learn his name eventually, but I'll call him Coach Carter. He uh, gives a little glare toward Morgan's way and then heads off back into the community center. Next, on a day in the life of Morgan, Derek Morgan, we cut to a birthday cake. Yay! Morgan is singing happy birthday with his family, and they sing... Not just happy birthday, but because they are cool and they are Morgans and they can afford music rights, they sing the hip Stevie Wonder version of happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, I can't afford these rights. So that's all I'm going to sing of it. <laughs> so we see it's uh, Desiree, who we've met before, uh, and two other women, uh, one of whom is a lady that they're calling Mama and singing happy birthday to. And the other one is Wallace's mother from Veronica <laughs> Mars. But she's yes, not Wallace's mother on this show. I'm just saying, if you know that actress. So that's number one of the questions that I might be preempting. So if I do, sorry. No, I know you're a Veronica Mars person, so I need okay. to clear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, and it doesn't matter at all, and it's not mentioned and. But I was happy to uh, Derek's mother was a white lady, which as a biracial person myself, it's good to see. And I, it's also good to see that it's not even remarked upon at all whatsoever. And why? And, when, and yeah. that's the thing. On these shows, he, he, go, he goes to every for his mother's birthday. This is his mother. They were like, by the way, you're <laughs> white. I'm <laughs> It would be weird to bring that up. Honestly, it's the 30th year he's done this birthday party. You are correct. That would be. Did you? Hey, did you ever notice, Mom? Oh, God. 
goodness, it's not brought up even once. You're right. I love that. I brought it up in my head. <laughs> and, and 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 I will say I did. You know, I had forgotten the, the situation, but noticed it, and because I know your lineage, I said, "Oh, Kintal's gonna like yes. that." So <laughs> you're right. Anyway, so we zoom into the cake as as Mama blows out the candles, and unfortunately, when we zoom out, <laughs> we're zooming out on the open eyes of uh, of a victim, and unfortunately. A victim who will get no more birthdays yes. of his own. It's a little heavy-handed for my mind. A little heavy-handed. Yes. Uh, it's unfortunately the decidedly dead Damien who has had a very, very bad day. Uh, <laughs> we hear, again, another camera clicking away. But this time we pull out and see that it's the police crime scene investigator taking pictures of of poor dead, <laughs> poor dead Damien. Um a local detective says, oh, this is just like the others. And his partner, whose name is Stan, looks mad as hell and he isn't going to take it anymore. He stalks off saying he's going to lock that son of a bitch up. His partner wants to call the powers that be because uh, this is a big one. But Stan says to hell with that and he gets into his car. What can this have anything to do with what's going on? At the peaceful Morgan clan's house. Nothing, right? That's what I would like Ooh. to think. <laughs> so we cut back to Derek, who has very proudly, for some reason, given his mother a remote starter for her car for her birthday. You know, saying, no more cold cars in the winter, Ma. It just, it seemed like an odd birthday gift to your mother for me. But what do I know? I give my mom cash. <laughs> so... <laughs> you know all, all these winters you know hear her complain oh i had to go out and start the car and it was freezing like you know let's end that noise real yes. quick <laughs> so derek and her mom and his mom are having a little talk and uh, she misses derek of course and she says his sisters ding 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 identify the other two women uh they wish he he was around more um, and he reminds her that his unit only works out of Virginia. And she says, so you're careful, right? I lost your dad. I can't lose you. Character development time, AJ. That's what this is. <laughs> yes, it is. But it's quick and it's natural and it's not yes. forced. And uh, Derek says, uh, uh, of course, I'm going to be careful. And she says mainly because he owes her some grandbabies. So I guess once he provides those, he can go straight to hell as far as she's concerned. <laughs> it's all about the grandbabies. Uh, you know, my biological clock stopped ticking years ago, Derek, but my life clock is ticking really fast. Speaking of hell, there's a knock at the door. And uh, who is it but Stan, who Derek calls uh, Gordinsky. So now we have his last name. And his partner, and there's also a couple of uniformed officers with them. They ask him if he's armed. He's like, what? No. And they tell him to turn around, and Stan's partner has the cuffs out. And Stan is like, don't make us get physical, man. It'll just be worse for your family. And Derek turns around. He sees them all staring in shock. What is going on? Derek Morgan, you're under arrest. <laughs> Credits. <laughs> Minds, 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 minds. It's criminal minds. 
Yes. We uh, come back. We are on a lovely night shot of Chicago. And then Derek gets to do the honors this week with the quote, because this is all Derek all the time. And I'm like, watch out, Derek. You know what happened when L said the quote. (laughs) 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 And here's the quote. All secrets are deep. All secrets become dark. That is in the nature of secrets from writer Corey Doctorow. Somebody's got a secret. I read through the. I read that, through that one. It's pretty easy. To, <laughs> I didn't figure it out, but you did, AJ. It's why you're here. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it a few times. So yeah. So Stan and his partner, or should I say, Gordinsky and his partner, bring uh, Derek into the station, the police station. Derek says to Gordinsky that he better have a good reason for doing that in front of his family. Um, and also, is he going to get around to telling him the charges now? And Gordinsky is like, I bet if you think real hard, you'll be able to figure that out, Derek. Sort of in a you-know-what-you-did tone. And Derek is like, uh, that's Agent Morgan to you. And uh, Gordinsky says, yeah, you'll always just be Derek to me. And Morgan is like, and you'll always be a racist son of a bitch to me. Ha ha. This is going to go smoothly. <laughs> clearly they have a history, and clearly it's not a great one. Well, pretty much it, it, this entire episode up until now, you know, we're only like 10 minutes in uh, at the most. And it's like every single person he's encountered, he has some right. history with. It's kind of funny. It's like, hey, strange man, strange gang guy. Oh, hi, Derek. Yeah. Hi, Rodney. <laughs> oh, hey, kid at the football place. Oh, it's Derek. Oh, hi, kid. Hi, Derek. You know, it's the cop. Hey, racist cop. Oh, Derek. <laughs> Stand <laughs> It's Derek's town. It is Derek's town. Uh, So Gordinsky is like, yeah, right, Derek. That's all it is. I'm just a racist is what he's responding to in case we forgot the comment that I made last time. And Derek is like, okay, then what is it? Okay. And uh, Gordinsky is clearly enjoying the moment. He seems to be real happy to finally have gotten his nemesis arrested and Derek is like, you know, y'all are just making a big problem for yourselves. You know I'm FBI, right? Even Stan's partner doesn't seem all that impressed. He asks Derek if he wants a lawyer. Derek says he wants his phone call. He wants to call his supervisor. And Gordinsky is like, oh, Agent Hotchner, I've already put in a call. (laughs) He's holding all the cards. Gloat, 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 gloat. (laughs) He's the gloat. No longer is it LeBron. (laughs) Cut to Hotch. He's on the phone saying that there must be some kind of mistake. And then he listens and uh, yeah, yeah, he understands and he hangs up. Uh, He makes an immediate call to initiate emergency recall of agents Reed, Prentice, Giroux, and Penelope Garcia as well. And then he says, oh yeah, uh, I'll call him myself. And we know who he's Got a call. He cuts. He's got to call Gideon. You hear him? Because Gideon, you know, Gideon doesn't answer the emergency right. call calls right away. You know, after all this time, he's like, yeah, 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 I'll be there when I'm when I'm there. What, what, what? <laughs> so Hotch makes that quick call. Jason, it's Hotch. We got to go to Chicago. Morgan's been arrested. Homicide. Dun dun dun. We uh, then cut to Morgan, who's in an interrogation room. He's speaking to the two-way mirror saying he can wait as long as they can. 
And uh, Gordinsky comes in asking if he's gotten any sleep. Morgan's playing this whole scene really cool. He's He knows the whole routine here. Uh, he's like, stop acting like you went home. I know your donut-eating ass was on the other side of that glass all night. His partner brings in a box hilariously. It's just marked Morgan. Uh, and he makes a big show of like how heavy it is when he's putting it down on the table. And he's like, uh, do you want any of the other ones or is this one it? <laughs> and and Gordinsky is just like, no, no, just this one for now. But guys, come on. Morgan is not going to fall for the okie doke here. He, he's not going to fall for exactly. <laughs> He says, uh, yeah, no, the FBI invented this stuff. You simple bastard. We teach it. Uh, I love that. That's such a nice... Morgan knows how to do a put-down when it's time to do a nice, to-the-point, not overly thinky put-down. You simple bastard. (laughs) It's it's also interesting, and we are... We're getting the benefit of seeing what it looks like on the other end of these interrogations for someone who we know... Is completely innocent. We, we Morgan did not do any of this, so we can see how he's reacting as someone who has the full confidence of going. Right. I didn't do this. <laughs> None of this will work on me because there's nothing to work on me. So Stan Gordinsky does have some pictures in his hand, and he lays them down in front of Morgan, who asks, "What is this?" And Stan says, "Yesterday." And it's pictures of Morgan at the cemetery. So it was actually Gordinsky or his cop friends taking pictures of Morgan. And uh, Morgan's like, you guys are following me? And Gordinsky asks, whose grave that is? And Morgan says, well, you know I don't know his name. And Gordinsky says, but you paid to bury him, didn't you? Well, he led the collection, apparently. And Derek is like, so? And Gordinsky says, well, you like to visit him a lot. Morgan says, well, yeah, every time I come home, I visit. uh, And I'm wondering if there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) And uh, Gordinsky pulls out a few more pictures of Derek at the rec center. And Derek wonders if he, like the rest of the world, has a crush on him or something. (laughs) And uh, he looks at the pictures And he says, okay, that's me at the rec center tossing the ball around with a couple kids. And Gordinsky says, "Uh, you did a little bit more than that. He says, this is about you giving one of these boys a ride home. And Derek's like, yeah, I did. Kid named Damien. His place was on the way to my mother's. So what? Stan pulls out a few more pictures. Damien Walters, D-O-A. It's our victim from the uh, before. Derek's like, oh, no, somebody killed him. And Gordinsky is like, not somebody, Derek. And Derek finally realizes what he's he's uh, been suspected of here. We cut to Hotch and the team arriving at the police station. Gordinsky's uh, partner introduces himself, Detective Dennison, with the CPD. Hotch demands to see Morgan. Dennison is like, uh, as soon as Detective Gordinsky, he's the primary. As soon as he's done, you can see him. And Hotch, Hotch don't play. People, if you don't know this by now, I mean, we know. 
I guess maybe this guy has not had the Hodge experience, but Hodge don't play. And he says, uh, you know what? I've held off on calling your superintendent and er interfering with whatever you got going on here. But I need to see Morgan now. And uh, Dennison quickly is like, you know what? I'll, I'll go check with Gordinsky. Uh, he's in there with the suspect. Yeah. I mean, I, I, when Hodge flexes, you, you best <laughs> <Yeah>. react. <laughs> And like, mm, I don't want to have to pull this card out, but go mm, pull the FBI card out. Just place it right <laughs> on the table. And yeah, enough yes. is what I thought they'd uh, <laughs> Gideon doesn't like the fact that they were calling him Morgan a suspect, and Hotch doesn't like it either. Yes. <laughs> but they shared that sentiment for, for whatever reason. Uh, we cut to uh, Gordinsky. He's in the room with Morgan. And uh, he's telling Morgan that he's the last person that anybody saw with the victim. And then he hands him another picture and says, recognize him. Found him in an alley four years ago, still unidentified, a John Doe. Just like that kid whose grave you visit every time you come to Chicago. And Morgan says, look, man, Rodney Harris. <laughs> he's been following me around ever since I got back to town. So that's the uh, gangbanger from the first scene. And Morgan is pretty quick to give up poor Rodney, I, I thought. But uh, yeah, he, maybe he's right to suspect maybe Rodney Harris had something to do with it. And Gudinski gives Morgan the Gudinski gives Morgan the uh, oh please brother look. Uh, he says, <laughs> "You think this looks like something a gangbanger would do? Is that how you would advise me, Mister FBI?" Um, and then at that moment, Dennison has come in to let Gordinsky know that he's scared of Hotch. And uh, Gordinsky says, uh, tell him he'll be right out. And then he tells Morgan if he's that he's going to have to come up with something a lot better than a gangbanger did it. In our next scene, we have Gordinsky, Gordinsky coming out and introducing himself to Hotch. Hotch says, so you think an FBI agent, a BAU profiler committed a homicide? That's the first thing. He doesn't even make nice with the intros. He's like. <laughs> He's yeah. headed up to here. I mean, you know, especially when, when Detective Wally went up to him with this big smile. And he's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not here yeah, to have, have fun. Exactly. Fun. Uh, Gordinsky does say, oh, no, not a homicide. It's actually three homicides at least over the past 15 years. <laughs> JJ's like, you think he's a serial killer? And uh, Reed is like, oh, that's ridiculous. Hotch asks if uh, Morgan's been charged with anything. And Gordinsky's like, I got 72 hours to do that, which we hear in every single cop show in existence. And I've heard that that's not necessarily true, depending on where you are. It's going to vary by jurisdiction. It's going to vary on charge. It's going to vary on a lot of things. And certainly, but generally speaking, we at least know there is a time where you have this, you can say, am I free to go? Am I being charged? Can I get out of here? And they got to make a decision. And so, AJ, I would say that would be our timeline because we need a timeline for the epic. Always need an artificial <laughs> deadline for this. Yeah, exactly. We got 72 hours. Okay, <laughs> there you cool. go. Every episode is going to have one. We didn't check everyone up until now, but we're starting that check. Yeah. <laughs> we're checking. Uh, so anyway, Hotch demands to see uh, Morgan. Gordinsky's like, fine with that. And so he has Dennison lead Hotch away to the uh, room. Uh, 
then Gordinsky sees Gideon and uh, introduces himself to him and says he has to thank him, AJ. And Gideon's like, what? And uh, he says, yeah, because I had nothing, no suspects at all, until you looked over my case notes and you sent this profile and everything in that profile points to that son of a bitch, Derek Morgan. And Gideon's like, what the what? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good time for a commercial yes. break. Yeah. It's like, you know, this whole thing, we're going to we're gonna hear it over and over again. We never actually used the phrase, which I was expecting, uh, confirmation bias <laughs> the whole time this episode plays out from here on out. But... That's pretty much what we're going to get for the rest of this episode. Confirmation bias. Profiler profiled. Um, we, we cut back from the break and Gideon's looking at a profile that he actually did provide to Gordinsky. And the rest of the team all of a sudden is trying to downplay the importance of the profile, which doesn't even work on me because I've spent the last two years learning about the importance of the profile but it's not going to work on Gordinsky either. Uh, Reed is Reed is like, oh, well, a profile is just a guideline, basically. It's the guide. And Gordinsky's like, yeah, this one guided me to him. And Prentice says, well, they're really more useful in the elimination of suspects rather than the inclusion. Gideon tells him that whatever's in there that pointed you to Morgan has to just be a coincidence. You can't just rely on this. And Gordinsky says, eh, you're right, and I'm not. Oh. So we next cut to Hotch in the interrogation room, walking in, asking Morgan if he's okay. Morgan tells Hotch about the there's this kid, how he drove him home yesterday, and how he was the last person seen with him. We cut to uh, Gordinsky telling Gideon and his team the whole story. Fifteen years ago, he was a brand new detective. One of his first cases was about a 12 or 13-year-old kid found strangled in a nearby vacant lot. He was a John Doe. No one ever reported him missing. Four years ago, another body turns up, same MO. He worked that case just as hard and also came up with nothing. JJ is like, no one's looking for these kids. And Gordinsky says that in a, a few months back, he happened to attend a seminar that Gideon was at, and uh, he told Gideon about this case, and Gideon said to send the files. He'd look them over, and Gordinsky says, and this is the profile you worked up. And apparently, he was, uh, luckily has access to the camera that's going to do a bunch of stuff to keep you distracted during the boring profiling scene, because... Uh, that's what happens when, when Gordinsky gives the profile, but it's still, he still gets all the nifty camera tricks. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the, the, the usage of this time. It, it, it was very Matrix-like. It spins around and we're in a white void where every single person in Chicago is standing there in the room with them, uh, as, uh, Gordinsky goes through the profile to eliminate the people one by one. So uh, he starts off with there being three million in Chicago. You see tons of men in the white void lined up. And then he says, we uh, suspect that we're looking for a black male, 25 to 35, with a knowledge of the area. A vast majority of the crowd disappears. <laughs> and then uh, you only see black men around that age range 
being shown. He's also non-threatening to children. Either he knows them or appears to be normal enough that he doesn't scare them. He has a probable criminal record. And it also was said in the profile that the way the body was placed gently on the mattress, not just tossed onto the ground, it indicated that someone was probably consumed with guilt. And the number of men surrounding the void has narrowed considerably. And you can actually notice now one of those figures appears to be Morgan. We only see him from behind, but it it looks pretty much like it's Morgan. And the killer is especially consumed with guilt for the first victim. Gideon's exact words were, With a guilt-ridden offender, the BAU postulates that the first victim is the most important and that the unsub may still visit the place of the crime or even the victim himself. Care to guess who visits the victim every time he's in town? Dun-dun-dun. Indeed. Leaving, of course, Morgan as the only person in the white room with Gideon and and, and, and Stan uh of course you know this is stan's yes. white room this is not necessarily uh a unbiased <laughs> person's white room because i i would you know I, it's one of those weird things i wish there were a few more people in the room like off to the side but <laughs> he only right. sees morgan but yeah. that's not what happens because he always right. sees morgan gideon says he just can't be visiting the victim there's got to be more to it than this And Gordinsky says, sure, you said that the unsub might try to inject himself into the case to keep tabs on it. Morgan has called their headquarters many times since he joined the Bureau, always about that case. But he did note note that he did call headquarters. He didn't call Gordinsky. Gordinsky says that after he got Gideon's profile, he checked airline records. And Derek had just left Chicago just when that other body turned up. So clearly, it must be Derek. Because you have so few people <laughs> leaving Chicago. No, I know. You know. I will say, this does strike me as, uh, you know, on the one hand, you're, you're looking at like, okay, this is Stan, who is very laser focused, and Morgan has to be the unsub. On the other hand, he is telling him from the moment he lands in Chicago this time, and yet leaves him alone <laughs> with at, from the rec center. And doesn't notice that he gets into the car with this kid and follows the car? Like, if this is your number one suspect, you have him on a 24-7 tail for the the time. And then you find out, oh, this kid died and it wasn't Morgan. It must have been somebody else over from the case. I mean, it's a half-assed tail job is what I'm saying here. (laughs) We cut back to Hotch and he's talking to Derek. And Hot says, you tell me the story from the beginning. And Derek says when he was 15, he was coming home from football practice one day. He and a friend were goofing off, throwing around the ball, whatnot, as you do. Uh, The ball got thrown into an alley. And when Derek went back there to retrieve it, he found that's when he found the body of the first victim. The only person that he ever saw dead before that was his father when Derek was 10. And... It was different this time because now he was looking at some kid who was his own age, dead, never identified. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody reported him missing. And that just didn't sit right with Derek Morgan. He felt responsible for him since he found him. So he ran around door to door and started up a collection. And then eventually he got enough cash so that he could bury him. And he got him a headstone. And the headstone just had the date on it. 
he left room for a name uh, if he was ever identified. Uh, I guessed at this point that he'd have a chisel in hand by the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll get there. He, uh, a weapon, <laughs> shoot! <laughs> he does visit that kid every time he comes home. He feels like he deserves someone to look at, have someone to look in on him. And Hotch says, well, Gordinsky must read that as a guilty conscience, like you're the killer revisiting your victim. And But he also says, that can't be the only reason he suspects you, Derek. Uh, Morgan says, look, this guy's had it in, me, in for me my entire life. Hotch says that this guy seems to be just too confident that Derek's the killer. We cut to Gordinsky telling our team that yesterday another kid ends up dead. And the last person he was with was Derek Morgan. They found one of Derek's FBI business cards with his cell number written on it. In fact, whenever Morgan's in town, he hangs out with kids. And JJ says, look, this is all just a coincidence. And uh, he poo-poos that. And Prentice says, well, then it's purely circumstantial. And Gordinsky says, well, so is a fingerprint, right? Also, did I mention that Morgan found the body in 1991, hidden away, back in a vacant lot? And uh, don't you teach that when a body is hard to find, the person finding it is always a suspect? And Reed says that there are key pieces of the profile that don't fit. For example, the age, 25 to 35. Morgan was 15 at the time. And Gordinsky, who's been reading, he's been doing his reading, AJ, says... Well, it also says that the age is the hardest factor to predict and that you should never exclude someone simply because of an age discrepancy. So Reed says, well, what about the speculation that since he didn't leave any evidence at the scene of the crime and he most likely he most likely has some kind of criminal record or previous law enforcement knowledge. And uh, Gordinsky says, yeah, well. He may not have had knowledge of law enforcement at the time, but Derek Morgan definitely had a criminal record. And everyone looks kind of shocked at that. And we have a quick cut to Derek sitting in in the interrogation room looking overwrought. And then we take a break. Yeah, it's it's like he's he's having his cake and eating it too with the whole situation. And, and look, he's not wrong. And I love the fact that the, the the their profile is is working against them. Like yours, your profile, your profile. Uh, but it's like let's just talk through this logically. Derek Morgan's a serial killer who knows how serial killers are caught. Today, forget about the first case. Today, he knows how serial killers are caught. He's gonna kill this kid. And leave his own business card in his back pocket. We gotta check the pockets and make sure his business card isn't yeah. there. Come on. Like, it can't yeah. be him. I mean, yeah. We come back and Gideon is talking to the team. And, I mean, yes, AJ, he's talking in a low voice because they're talking specifically about Gordinsky. But Gordinsky's sitting in his desk 10, maybe 12 feet directly behind them. This, I. Uh, This always bugs me every time it comes up in any movie film, and they all do it because it just makes economical sense. And we can, as the audience, most of people will forgive it. It just always annoys me when when I see that. Hey, you're allowed your pet peeves, and pet peeves do you know it. So, yeah, whatever. Gideon says, uh, hey, we're working with a desperate detective here. 
He has three dead boys, no evidence at all. So he applies the profile directly to someone he's already sus- suspected. It's easy to get tunnel vision that way. Reed says that one begins to twist facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts. One of Sherlock Holmes' favorite quotes. Ooh, sneaking in a second quote in the episode. <laughs> and Gideon says, what we need to figure out is who really killed these boys before they charge more. Okay, so there's our timeline uh, <laughs> that we had before they charge Morgan. Yeah, she's got 72 hours. Boom, state it yeah. specifically here. That's our deadline, folks. Come on, <laughs> chop, chop, clock a ticket. So the last big... big the last victim was someone Morgan was seen with. Conveniently, Morgan was already a suspect with the other two. So Prentice says, maybe someone set him up. Gideon says, uh, we need to consider Morgan as a victim. So Prentice, you and Reed talk to his family, learn about him, especially about him at around the time of the first murder. And Dennis says, oh, okay, I can drive him. And Prentice starts to decline. But Gideon's like, no, actually, that's not a bad idea. So Prentice and Reed leave with uh, Dennison. Yeah, I think that's just really smart by Gideon. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's not do this secretly. Let's let the guys number two in command get all the facts, too. So when you come back and say, no, these are the facts, then he's got to tell Stan that these are the facts. (laughs) So then uh, Hotch comes up to Gideon and tells him that Morgan says he's got a bad history with Gordinsky. And uh, Gideon says, well, he's got a bad history generally because he's found some documentation resisting arrest, vandalism, aggravated battery. And Hotch is like non-believing. He's like, this is Morgan? And Gideon says, yeah, as a juvenile, look at these dates. Hotch is upset though because protocol has been broken this this document isn't in his personnel file this is where hotch sort of goes off the rails to me and i'm like calm down hotch but uh he's really not happy that uh he told morgan to tell him everything that's relevant uh and gideon says well either he lied or he doesn't really consider this relevant There, yeah. there. <laughs> and Hotch is like, since when is the criminal history of a suspect not relevant? And Gideon's like, uh, you just called him a suspect. And again, we all know Morgan didn't. The only person that doesn't know Morgan didn't do this is 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 Gordensky and maybe Dennison following along blindly. But no, it, it, look, it, it's very true. Uh, it, it's very. It raises some eyebrows here. We'll we'll get to why this whole exchange here raises eyebrows in a minute. So then uh, he does tell Gideon does tell JJ to get Garcia to uh, dig into Morgan's life. So Hotch goes in to talk with Morgan, who starts to tell him about the gangbanger Rodney Harris, who he has beef with. But Hotch is, is mad because Derek didn't tell him he had a criminal record. And he shows the folder to Derek. And Derek says, well, this was supposed to be expunged. My record is clean. And Hotch is like, I asked if there was anything you hadn't told me. And again, he's saying, Morgan is saying, a judge expunged this. It doesn't exist anymore. I mean, I was a kid. It's nothing. And Hotch looks at him and it says in a very judgy voice, I thought, aggravated battery (laughs) and uh derek explains he says look i was with some guys they got into a fight with some other guys 
Uh, Rodney, as a matter of fact, this guy, this cat, he says, I'm trying to tell you about. Uh, it was him. We got into it a little bit. We knocked each other around. He got a couple of stitches in his head, so they made it aggravated. That's it. And Hotch is like, so you're saying that this Rodney committed three murders because you beat him up? And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's really mad about the it kind of I was like, come on, Hotch. But I think the whole L thing really the thing, he's still not sure about practice yeah. and whether or not he ratted him out. Yeah, there's a lot working beneath yeah. the surface here. So Morgan is like, no, I'm saying that this this guy has been following me since I got here. So go talk to him. Maybe you'll get something. Again, he's like, this was expunged holding up the record. And Hotch is still like, you still should have told me. You know how important accurate information is to the victimology. And and then that sets Derek off. He's like, whoa, 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 victimology. Uh, no, 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 no. You guys, are you guys profiling me? I, I don't want you to do that. Morgan, uh, Hotch is like, Morgan, we need to look at. And Morgan's like, no, 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 no. We don't need to do anything. <laughs> and Hotch tries to explain, look, you're in trouble here. And he wants to know if there's something else that he doesn't want them to find out about. And Morgan is like, I don't need people I work with going into my entire world. And I'm like, you didn't seem to mind it when they were looking at a satellite image of your dog, Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that was when he was being a player at the same time. Uh, Oh, you can see into my bedroom. You can see into my bedroom much easier. Just say, come on in. So next we cut to Prentice and Reed talking to Derek's family and uh, Derek's sister, Sarah, also known as Wallace's mom. She seems a bit combative during this scene. Um, she's asking if he told them that Gordinsky's been harassing, ha- harassing him, harassing, what about Popeye? Harassing him since he was. He's been harassing him since he was a kid. And uh, Dennison is there and he sort of scoffs at this. And Sarah's at asks him what he's even doing in her mother's house. And Prentice and Reed let him know that they think someone may be trying to make it look like he hurt those kids. And Sarah's like, and the police believe it. And Dennison says, we're just following the evidence. Sarah says, but he's an FBI agent, which, to, again, that's not a strong, you know, especially in this day and age. And uh, Reed says, actually, law enforcement officials are just as probable statistically to commit a crime as anyone else. Look at the cross-section of a society. There's a general population and a small fraction. Prentice is like, "Uh, hey, he's not actually saying we believe Derek's involved in this, right? And then he's like, "Uh, no, 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 no. I'm uh, just speaking theoretically. And they're his sisters are looking at him. Oh, you're Dr. Reed, right? I love that little moment. They didn't need to say anymore, uh, but they do. I mean, there's, he says, yes. And and they go, oh, Derek talks about you. And, and Reed's like, he does? Oh, like proud of it. Uh, well, and he should be because they, they actually calm down when they realize it was, oh, this is Dr. Yeah. Reed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's cool. He's harmless. He's, he didn't mean anything by the fact he can't help himself. <laughs> uh, I thought that was a nice moment. Derek, Derek talked about you all the time. We didn't think you were real. <laughs> Basically, uh, so uh, 
Derek's mom starts bringing up the fact that Derek loves kids. He's always going to the youth center. And Prentice starts to wonder if that maybe has some significance to him. Uh, Hostile Sarah starts to get defensive. So Prentice again explains that they're really there to look out for Derek. They're really just trying to help. So they need to know everything they can about the case so that they can figure out where to look next. Is there some special significance to the youth center? And Derek's mom says, well, the youth center saved his life. Uh, We don't go into that story. We go into Gideon and Hotch and they're talking. And Hotch feels that Derek is clearly hiding something. And uh, he feels like there's implications to this. You can't have people on the team that have secrets. And Gideon's like, come on, Hotch, we all have secrets, right? (laughs) Would you want us profiling you? And I was like, oh, I finally agree with him. Like sometimes... A lot of times I don't agree with Gideon, but I do agree with him here. It, it, well, it's one of these things where it's like, Hotch isn't wrong, but he's right. also not right. <laughs> yeah, no, we got to trust each other to do this job. But that doesn't mean you need to know uh, how, how Morgan's bowel movement looked like last night. There, there, there's lines. <laughs> you can have some for you. And and so it gives... Uh, uh, if you if you had set out the emergency alert earlier, I wouldn't have come until the third time you sent it. You know this about me, but you know, I could have been doing something I didn't want you to know about. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, next we have Garcia talking to JJ. She feels horrible looking into uh, Morgan's life. JJ's like, I know. Just remember, we're trying to help him. Uh, so Garcia's like, okay. So he graduated with honors from Northwestern Law. Oh, did you know he was a star football player? And uh, JJ says, surprisingly, I didn't know much about him at all. Apparently, he was a quarterback. Almost as if we could actually coexist and do this job without knowing everything about each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, he had a full ride athletic scholarship. And then sophomore year, he was severely injured in his left knee and never played again. And... uh, JJ's like, okay, Garcia, I need you to look a little bit further back, okay, before college. And uh, Garcia's like, right, where are we? Oh, wait, he's mentioned in the Chicago Register as body of child found in vacant lot in 1991. (laughs) Oops, that's our first victim. Garcia's like, he never even told me about this. He never told any of them. And uh, so there's that. Yeah, just, uh, you know, my obsession with looking at the articles when they pull up the articles on the screen. So it's hilarious to me that the first article where uh, the reports of Morgan's injury, it actually says it's in the middle column of the page of the paper with two stories on the other side of it. And the the middle column basically says, star quarterback Derek Morgan will announce tomorrow that he is done as quarterback. (laughs) Like, that's not how this works. Okay. The team would release a medical report. He's not going to hold a press conference to announce that he is no longer able to play quarterback. That's not what's going to happen. The second article was really interesting. Um, and I, they do get to the story. It actually describes the entire story that his mom is about to tell in the next scene is written in that article. It's practically her script. What I found amusing is that even though this article is many many years before the second article, the stories on either side are exactly the oh, same. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the same article on the right and the same article on the left. Do better, oh, art department. No. 
You could have had four stories. You could have. The one on the right is a story about the Tennessee Valley Authority and something going on there. The story on the left is just has the word criminal like three times <laughs> on the left. Oh, God. So, yeah, we do uh, go to back to the family and, and JJ's talking to the mom. And she brings up the story of what happened to Derek's father who apparently was killed when he tried to stop a robbery and Derek was with him. He was 10 years old at the time. After that, he started getting into trouble, started running around with older kids. They would give him money to run errands for them. And she's like, not drugs. No, Derek wouldn't disgrace his father's name. And I think Dennison kind of scoffed at this point. I was like, damn, Dennison, just uh, give it a rest. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, these kids that he was hanging around with were gangbangers. So people started acting as if Derek was one of them. Um, and then one night, he and a friend were attacked by some boys from another gang. Big fight. And one of the other boys' head split open. And that was the first time that Gordinsky arrested him. And uh, now Gordinsky wasn't a detective just yet. He was just a street cop. But from that night on, no matter what happened... When something happened, uh, Gordinsky would basically pick up Derek for it. And uh, Dennison is like, probably because he was involved. <laughs> and he was not, uh, according to the mom, obviously. But uh, Dennison is standing up for Stan. He says he's never arrested anyone who didn't need arresting. And uh, his sister's like, well, he did with Derek until Carl Buford stepped in. So we get our first mention of Carl Buford. Who, who is that? Oh, he's the guy who runs the youth center. He took Derek in under his wing, mentored him, became like a surrogate father to him, taught him football, changed Derek's life. He got his scholars. He's got his scholarship to college all through helping the help of this guy, Carl. So then they ask, well, where is Carl Buford now? Sounds like someone they need to talk to. Uh, he still runs that uh, youth center. Oh, really? Uh, detective, you think you could take me over there? Francis wants to go talk to him. And she says, uh, just you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, she leaves Reed there to stay there and uh, keep going through his stuff. And Reed is like, oh, yeah, good idea. Like trying to sell it like he knows what's going on here. When, when he really does. <laughs> and he does not. Yeah. Next, we have a scene where... Still Garcia, and she's uh, talking about uh, there's a criminal history. Apparently, there's a sealed file, and uh, JJ tells her to unseal it then. And Garcia's like, but it's sealed! <laughs> now, we've uh, we've unsealed files before on this show, so... Well, she, she's because it's Morgan. It, I know. It's more the thing here, but, but what's interesting about this is that and Garcia is is feeling icky about this. And yes, Garcia can clickety-clack and is about to clickety-clack and is just going to poof, going to be unsealed. But how did, how did Stan get unsealed? Yeah. He had to go through some channels that are not necessarily on the up and up. So he's really got it out for Derek. Like yeah. he's doing some unsavory things. Clearly. He was on the Silk Road getting this mm -hmm. information. Uh, <laughs> but you don't have Garcia to go clickety-clack. Exactly. So she clickety-clacks. They find out it's the ju juvenile criminal record. 
but it was expunged and sealed by Judge Esposito after presentation of a letter and testimonial from a local youth center director. Hmm. And uh, that person said, finest young man I've ever known. Criminal record could jeopardize potential scholarship. Stake my professional and personal reputation on it. Uh, he was definitely a fan. Uh, Garcia clickety clacks his name. It's Carl Buford. Oh, wait a second. We've heard that name already. So Buford has actually brought into the office. Uh, he's brought Damien Walter's mother there to see Dr. Uh, Dr. Detective Gordinsky. And Detective Gordinsky is very cordial with our uh, youth soccer coach. Hi, thanks for coming this way. And that's when they realize that Buford is the one that they want to talk to, and he is right there. How convenient. <laughs> yes. So they decide that they need to, to talk to him. And uh, meanwhile, they're trying to talk to Derek, get him to give some information uh, to let them know what's going on, what's he's trying to hide, et cetera, et cetera. They're trying to get him, Hotch and Gideon are trying to get him to trust him. He needs to tell us what's going on. And uh, Morgan is like, look, it's not about trust. It's about having a little privacy. I got the right to keep things, certain things to myself. We practically live together already. Uh, and Gideon says, well, the best way to clear you then is to find the real unsub. Which we figured out about 20 minutes ago, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Prentice goes to the rec center to find Carl Buford, but she's not going to find him there, AJ, because we know that Carl Buford is at the police station. Although that'd be a great twist if all of a sudden the Carl was at the rec center, because they'd be like, oh my god, he's got a twin! There's <laughs> an evil twin! Oh, boy. So while uh, Prentice is there looking, uh, she's looking around Carl's office, trying to find out some information, I guess. And uh, while she's there, our wide receiver from before, James, walks in. And he's actually there uh, looking for Derek Morgan. And once he finds out that she's with the FBI, he asks if she knows Morgan. And she says, oh, yeah, he's definitely a friend of mine. And he says, well, great. I've been trying to call him. Um, she says, is there something I can do to help you? Uh, and he says, no, I just, a friend of mine, someone killed him yesterday. And so Prentice asks if he knows anything about who might have done it. He says, no, but Derek's always telling me if I need somebody to talk to about anything, I can call him. I guess I just wanted to give him a call. So, uh, Emily says, well, why don't you just give me your name and I'll let him know you've been trying to reach, reach him. Um, he does. It's James Barfield. And uh, she says, does he know where to find you? And she said, he says he can find me here anytime, all the time. So there you go. So meanwhile, AJ, at the police station, uh, Buford finished his little chat with uh, with Gordinsky. And uh, he comes over by Hotch and Gideon. He says, uh, oh, you guys are the ones that work with Derek. And they say, yes, uh, very closely. And uh, by the way, you knew him pretty well as a teenager. And uh, 
Buford is like, yeah, he's one of the finest uh, lads I ever coached. And uh, I run a youth center. I coached him in football. Um, and uh, they say, yeah, you were uh, instrumental in helping him to get his criminal records expunged. And he says, yeah, I feel terrible about that now. And they're like, you do? And he's like, well, you know, in view of everything that happened. And uh, they're like, well, what's happened is a mistake. And then so Carl says, well, now I'm confused. I thought Stan said there was all kinds of evidence and uh, Stan hurries along and says, there is. Thanks, Carl. You can take Miss Walters home now. Appreciate you bringing her in. And so he's just like, of course, of course. And then he's like, Derek Morgan, still hard for me to believe. Yeah, but the thing that he specifically says back, he's like, you know, but I could see why you were fooled because he was always such a charmer. You know, like, oh, always, you know, wordsmith could spin. Oh, total, totally going like, yeah, you fell victim to Derek the charmer. We know Derek is a charmer. So that, that kind of tracks. <laughs> right. So, uh, AJ, why don't you tell us what happens next? <laughs> Yeah, so Carl, yeah, Carl says Derek is a charmer, and you felt you fell prey to it. And you know, just before he leaves, they said, "Oh, by the way, it was like it was like a Columbo thing." One, one more thing, you're the one who told the cops that Derek left with with the victim. Well, it's, it's true, right? Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. But when was the last time you spoke to Derek? And he's like, "Oh, I haven't spoken to him in years. I haven't spoken to him in years." And so they 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 take note of that because that was kind of interesting there. Uh, then you know, Stan comes over. And talks to Gideon like, oh, Carl, great guy. You seem buddy-buddy. He's like, oh, yeah. oh you know, He's a hero. He's a wonderful person. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does, he does seem to be very involved in the investigation, asking a lot of questions, though, doesn't he? <laughs> and Stan, right. again, to his credit, being very, very with it, like, no, 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 no. I see what you're trying to do here. I see what you're going. You are not going to turn this around and make it. That Carl is, no, 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 he's a hero, you're right, absolutely. Gideon's like, I'm just asking questions. I love when Mandy does that. He's like, yeah. just asking questions. Just, 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 just questions. Just questions. Just, just, just questions. So Hotch goes in to talk to Morgan here and just yeah. opens the door. Carl Buford. <laughs> yeah, Carl Buford. Morgan's like, what's that got to do with anything? He he just runs the youth center. And Hotch says, no, he's responsible for getting your records expunged. And Morgan is mad. He's like, I told you to stay the hell out of my business. And I just like, you said you visit the youth center every time you come here. And he's like, so what? And uh, Buford says he hasn't spoken to you in years. Why do you why don't you visit the man who made your career possible? So now we're starting to get to the heart of the matter here, AJ. Uh, at this point, you can kind of guess where this is headed. I would think. I, well, I certainly have seen it several times, so obviously I can. But yeah, I, I think we're it's about to, and, and the way Morgan explodes here, it just kind of throws the box, uh, not filled with evidence, across the room, <laughs> start making yeah. a little wreck of the place. Back off! <laughs> yes. Yeah. Why don't you visit the man who made your career possible? Morgan, he's like, damn you, Hotch, it's none of your damn business. And, uh, Buford's the one who told the detectives you were with Damien. And uh, Morgan just says, I'm warning you, Hotch, just back off. What happens next, AJ? Hotch does back off, which is kind of kind of good. He kind of leaves the room. Uh, we see him coming out, talking to uh, Gideon, who's there with, with, with Stan, the cop. And, 
Emily comes in, and like everybody's coming in, and everyone's just talking about Carl Buford. Carl Buford is the talk of the town. It's the water cooler number one discussion. <laughs> they're not, not talking about Squid Game. No, they're talking about Carl Buford. What's happened? Oh, you were talking to Carl Buford? I was just with Carl Buford. And all of a sudden, as they're just going, Carl Buford, Carl Buford, Carl Buford, Carl Buford, Carl Buford, Carl Buford, Carl Buford. Wally, the, the, the flunky cop, number two, screams, Hey! Did we turn him loose? Prison break. <laughs> I see an empty room here, everybody. <laughs> so everybody, everybody just runs to the back room. It is indeed empty, and Stan's just like, "You let him escape!" Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he's upset. And then the next thing you know, you see him giving the the description for an APB uh, looking for Derek, black male, six foot one, named Derek Morgan. And then uh, he's yelling at the team, you know, you guys are standing there trying to convince me that a local hero is my killer. When you let my main suspect dance out the back door, I'm going to charge all of your asses. And then he's talking and, and and they're telling him, well, he's got to tell his officers that Morgan is not a threat. But Gordinsky, he's not going to go for the he's said uh, for all he's all he's concerned he morgan is most definitely a threat yeah he's actually very rude it's jj who's telling him that and like he's very rude to jj he's like lady he is a threat calls her lady you don't call yeah. jj lady this is jennifer f and Giroux. <laughs> show some respect meanwhile you know they're, they're cutting back and forth to like scenes of cop cars on patrol and morgan slinking in the shadows yeah. and walking around and it is kind of you know it's the unspoken thing whenever you have a character who happens to be black in a city like Chicago with cops looking for him. I mean, JJ's right. Like, please tell them he's not dangerous because they're probably going to shoot first and ask questions later. And I would not like to see my friend shot. It might not even be her friend. It might be somebody that looks like her friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't have armed and dangerous on the loose. This is, this is yeah, I get it. You want to catch Morgan. Valid. <laughs> right. But can you at least say that, like, just bring him in for questioning, not bring him in by any means. <laughs> no, God. he's yeah. a threat. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. So then uh, JJ goes to talk to the rest of the team. She just tells them that uh, this that they're all beyond reason. They're going to have to find Morgan before anybody else does. <laughs> Otherwise, it could be a very bad situation. They uh, ask if, each other if there's any ideas. Well, it turns out that uh, his mother did say that Buford practically raised him after his father died. Uh, he mentored him. He took him on trips, spent all of his time with him, basically was a surrogate father. And uh, at this point, Hotch has figured it out. He tells Gideon, I think I know what Morgan was afraid we were going to find out about. And then he says, detective, we may know where where he's going to go. Yeah, I mean, the, it doesn't take much at this point. But when, you know, all the pieces have been laid, the, we're, we're not going to be surprised by the reveal when it actually comes out in the next couple of scenes. Yeah. So we next cut to Derek at the scraggly looking football field with uh, James, our wide receiver from before. Again, may I just say, terrible police force because the first place I would think that he was going to go is to Carl Buford. Because he's the other suspect in this case, quote unquote. There's this two things. He's either going out to get Rodney or he's going out to get Carl. 
and you've got the full police force looking for him. How about an open field? Can we stand in an open field for the next 20 minutes? Really? No cop comes by the open field next to the rec center? Yeah. Uh, But this is the reveal scene, basically, where what we've been sort of hinting at now comes out because uh, James says, uh, oh, yeah, I was trying to call you. I I wanted to talk to you. And... uh, and Morgan's like, yeah, I know someone killed Damien. But James, what we need to talk about is Carl Buford. James is like, what about him? Morgan starts going into it. You're a star player, right? Center of attention. You know what? I used to be that guy. I know there's a lot of pressure on you. You want to make this guy happy. You want to impress him. You want to show that you can handle things. And then, so, by the way, does he take you to his cabin? Ever take you to that cabin? Uh-oh. Uh, you know. <laughs> and that's the tone and the hone in the conversation. You just look on, look on James's face and you know, oh, yes, he does. And he knows exactly where this is going. Yeah. Fishing in Wisconsin, camping, do those things that you wish you had a real father for. James is just like, sometimes. And, yeah. You know about the cabin, is what he says, basically. And Morgan says, I told you, I used to be you. He's still like, he doesn't want to say it. He's like, well, what do you mean? And Morgan starts getting into it. The first time, you weren't even sure what was going on, but then he brushed up against you. You thought it might have been an accident. But then you realize that, no, it wasn't an accident. Because at the cabin, he let you sit and drink with them. At first, you thought it was kind of cool. He made you feel grown. He gave you a glass of wine. So basically, he goes into the whole idea of seduction of a pedophile and uh, gives him the whole story. And then he maybe took you swimming after getting you liquored up. And this time, he tells you to jump in without your swimsuit on. And then he did things to you. James, you can tell he did. You can just look at his face and you know that Morgan has it perfectly right. And he says, I know he did these. Morgan says, I know he did these things to you because he did them to me, too. And you do whatever you think you got to do to keep him happy because it's the closest thing to a father you got. But what he's doing to you is wrong and you don't have to let it continue. And uh, James starts to say he does. He's got a brother in jail. He's got a sister that's paralyzed. He's all his mom has left. They need to get out of they need to get out of there. And uh, Carl is going to help him get into college so I can make something of myself. And Morgan says, James, you are something, man. You're something right here, right now, without Carl Carl Buford. You just got to believe that. And then he asks him where Carl is right now. And he says, look at you, man. You're out here in the dark running pass routes. That's you. That's got nothing to do with Carl. What you got inside of there, that's what's going to get you off these streets. You're never... James says, uh, you never told, like, you know, you let it go all this time, Morgan. Why should I, why should I say something? And, uh, Morgan says, well, not until right now. And Damien always said that James should call Morgan and Morgan is like, what? 
And uh, basically, Damien always said to James that he should call Morgan and Dame because Damien knew what was going on. And that's maybe what got Damien killed, probably. Yeah, Morgan finds out about that. Now he knows for sure that that's why Carl killed Damien to keep, keep him quiet. Uh, you know, he tells, tells James that he's got his back now and forever. He's, he's got his back. So, you know, trust me, when you, you, you tell, I'll tell. We're in this together from here on out. And now Derek knows where, where he's got to go. He got to confront Mr. Buford. Yes. Yeah, so Derek finds uh, Carl. Uh, I guess they're in the rec center at this point. And uh, he comes in. And at first, Carl is trying to play it off a little bit. Like, oh, Derek. Oh, they let you out. <laughs> Uh, I told him it was crazy. I told him it was crazy. Like, yeah. please. <laughs> please, dude. Uh, Gordinsky told him, said to Derek, though, that he's the one that told him he drove Damien home. And uh, Buford is like, oh, well, well, was that supposed to be a secret? And uh, Derek's like, no, no. Then what's this about? I, I don't I don't really follow. And Derek says, you know what? All these years, I kept my mouth shut and I let you go on being a hero. Carl Buford, my mentor. Carl sort of gets a look in his eye like, what are you talking about? And Derek's like, I was so afraid of you. I was uh, afraid of the police, afraid of losing everything that I was gaining. But that's how you work. You make sure that there's a hell of a lot to lose, don't you? I know, I don't know what you think or what you remember, and and uh, Buford's like, no, no, no. See, I, I, that's uh, that's not what happened. That's not what I remember. And Derek says, that's what's going to hurt you, Carl. Our business between us was over way too long ago to matter. You're protected by by a statute of limitations. That's my fault. And then he's like, oh, well, then good night and good day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he. Carl's a trip, man. It's ups and downs and ups and downs. Am I in trouble? Oh, better backpedal, backpedal. Oh, wait a second. I don't got a backpedal. I'm going to take three steps forward and turn to the right. <laughs> uh, so Derek says, you know what? You set me up. You knew Damien Walters wanted James to call me about you. So you killed him. You killed him because you knew I'd come after you, didn't you? And Carl's like, now nah, you're just talking crazy. <laughs> Uh, Derek says, I should have told somebody about you when I was a kid. When you were helping me, well, you know what happens in cases like this. Once that dam breaks, the flood comes. One kid steps up, and then another one, and then another. And guess what? They're not scared of you anymore. They know they're not alone. And guess what? James Barfield, that's your dam. So Buford says, look, whatever lies James told you, and uh, Morgan says, look, look, they're not lies. You did the same thing to me. And and he's trying to say, I did nothing to you. And he's like, look, one by one, these kids are going to pile up. There's going to be so many accusations. You can't say that they're all lies. Uh, and he's Buford is still trying. You have no idea how many kids I've helped out, how many kids I've helped get out of this neighborhood, how many lives I've provided. Look at you. You'd probably be dead by now. And uh, Derek says, yeah, well, guess what? It wasn't for free. And he says, I pulled you out of the gutter. And I said, he says, I pulled myself out of the gutter all the way to the FBI. I did that. And Carl is like, you're saying I had nothing to do with making you who you are. 
And Derek says, uh, no, Carl, actually, you have everything to do with making me who I am. Because I'm somebody who gets to spend the rest of his life making sure you guys that are like you go down. Yeah, and he's also, also in, in that is his little subtext like, oh, no, no, no. You you mess me up so much that I'm immune to a lot of the things I see in this job. Right. <laughs> Dude, you make me better at my job because I can, I can understand what's going on here. So thank you for letting me see the depravity in this world in a way because that made me who I am. It's and deep this, stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. And then Carl says what I'm sure a lot of these jerks say, and it's just the most despicable thing. It's like, I never hurt you and you could have said no. <sighs> Shut oh, up. And then, you know, while he's while they've been talking here, Stan, we see the cops have arrived. And, and yeah. they we don't know exactly how long they've been there, but we they certainly heard that last part of, well, you could have said no, which is about as much as, as, as a confession as you're going to get. So, uh, yeah. Guess what, Carl? <laughs> the door is closed. <laughs> Mr. Buford, you are under arrest. Uh, yeah, so... Our boy Stan comes out with his boys, and they arrest Buford. And nice little, Car- nice little, nice little, nice little note here. Carl's like, "Oh, Morgan, can't you help me? Can't you do something for me?" She's like, "You can go to hell." Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. no, yeah, I'm gonna help you. There's a the one final moment where like Stan like pauses and looks at Morgan and has right. nothing he can say at this point. So he's just kind of like. Like nods, just kind of like, eh, goes. It's yeah. kind of a weak apology. It's as best he can muster up, and it's all Morgan's going to get. So, yeah. No, I'm know. sorry. No. You know what? Yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> How funny after all that? It's just like, and, and hearing what, what had happened with between him and Carl, like, it's just like, yeah, thank goodness he just like, he said it without saying it, and it's not enough, but it's like I said, it's all he's going to get. <laughs> yeah. So finally, for our last little scene, we cut back to the cemetery. But this time, there's a bunch of folks there. Derek's family. Stan is even there. The team is there. Damien's we, mom is there. Damien's mom is there, of, of course, because it's when we look at the grave, it's actually Damien Walter's grave. So you hear a little sad him type gospel type music playing in the it, background. It's a real cheesy song, yeah. It's yeah. Lame ass song, but all right, sentimental and yeah. And then we do see right next to Damien's grave, the other grave. Only now it has some something inscribed on it. It says, "The lost children you are loved and missed." And that's our episode. Is our episode an amazing acting tour de force from Shamar Moore? Just is really, really cool backstory, character development, and uh, yeah, that's just good stuff. It's hard to watch, but it's good when it's hard to watch when it's you know for for a purpose and for a point. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, a funeral, as a funeral that involved our uh, cast in a capacity of involvement. They were not there because of a case. They were there. His Morgan and his whole family there. That is funeral number one uh, that is going to count towards your prediction of nine funerals for the course of the series. Nine funerals. That is number one because Morgan was definitely involved in a personal way with this funeral. Awesome. I forgot about that prediction, to be honest with you. Well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, 
Thank God. Thank God. Uh, so let's check out our old barometer, AJ, and uh, let me know what you think. Did our team win the episode this week? You know, I uh, we're entering this episode seven two and two. Uh, I'm calling this one a push because although yes, they they got the unsub, close three homicides all at once. Not bad. Thank you. Chicago Police Department for not doing your jobs all these years. Uh, you know, at what cost? At what cost? I mean, Morgan had to open up some wounds that probably were best left not opened. Uh, and I'm also, to be honest, I'm a little concerned uh, at what cost. Hodge did leave that door open for Morgan to leave, didn't he? Yeah. I, I mean, there's no other explanation as to how Morgan got out because basically Hotch left and then Morgan was gone. Uh, did a little distraction game. So, I mean, we don't know for sure that Hotch is the one to let him out, but he never denied it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And that's crossing the line that I'm not sure. I, I get it. It's for Morgan. Uh, it all worked out in the end, but... The, and it, it follows nicely in the fact that we had that episode a little while back the uh, the Gitmo episode where Hotch called home to tell Haley to not take Jack to the mall, which was against protocol. Now, he didn't actually get through, but he was willing to break protocol there. And I wonder how much this is sticking with him now that, you know, I can break protocol if it's, if it's really essential and if that's going to potentially uh, have impact later on. Yep. Indeed. All right. So it's a push this week. And uh, did you say what that left us at? What number uh, our record is? So I did, but I can repeat it. It's seven wins, two losses, three ties. Still Three ties. We went from two to three, yeah. So not too bad. 12 episodes, yep. seven wins. I'm, I'm okay with that. Only two losses. Excellent. Uh, and AJ, the other thing we like to do at the end of our episodes is a little quiz based on, or I should say, inspired on the episode that we just witnessed. Yes. Criminal Minds inspired trivia questions, mostly about things that aren't the Criminal Minds. I'm not, not going to quiz you on Criminal Minds trivia because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. But uh, let's go to question one here, sir. Uh, you thought perhaps I might mention something about uh, Morgan's sister being on Veronica Mars. No! I'm going to ask you a question about Morgan's mom. Actress oh. Carrie Keene appeared on what television show as a character named Suzanne Steele, the secret mistress of one of the series regulars' father? Looking for the name of the show where Carrie Keene played Suzanne Steele. Secret mistress of one of the series regulars' father. I'm trying to think this because this might be in my wheelhouse. Uh, I tend to watch a lot of soapy type shows. That's definitely what this sounds like. Um, did Morgan's mom look familiar to you from any particular place? Because if she did, that's probably the place. <laughs> she did. I didn't. You know what? I was so. Uh, focused on Mrs. Fennell that I didn't even uh, really pay attention to the other two actresses, which is not fair. I I agree. Uh, so I'm going to just take a random stab at a soap 
nighttime soap show. Try to base it a little bit off her age. So she, she this might have been when she was a little bit younger. I'm going to say this was on the show Models, Inc. Models, comma, Inc. <laughs> Period. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> this will also get us towards one of our predictions. Uh, as after our Jason Wiles episode, I said that we were going to count up all of the uh, people who appeared in at least 10 episodes of this other show uh, and, and do a running count on that. You predicted eight Eight people would be uh, appearing who had once appeared on Beverly Hills 90210. She came at Christmas time to tell Dylan that uh, she had been intimate with his father. And hey, this is your half sister, Erica. <laughs> wow. Well, I was close because wasn't Models Inc. a spinoff of Melrose Place, which was a spinoff of. 90210. Yes, indeed. I tried to tell you that uh, that uh, that this was the place, but you know. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Could you place it? Mm. Yes. All right. That's okay. It's okay. You didn't get that one. It was a tough one. This one is just a fun one. This is going to be multiple choice. Uh, in the real world, Northwestern University uh, has had many great quarterbacks, including one who could arguably be considered the greatest quarterback in Northwestern history uh, because he's the only quarterback to have won two Big Ten titles. He also happens to have been the quarterback during what would have been the Derek Morgan era, according to the show. (laughs) Um. I think the timelines fit perfectly that the greatest Northwestern quarterback of all time uh, was the quarterback during Derek Morgan's injury. (laughs) Mm. When he was unable to take over the position uh, as such. So, all I need for you is to tell me which of the following four names is the greatest quarterback in Northwestern history, winning two Big Ten titles in the mid-1990s. Is it A, Brett Bassanez? Is it B, Clayton Thorson? Is it C, Steve Schnoor? Or is it D, Zach Kustak? I'm torn, AJ. Because I feel like it's either Clayton or Steve. I don't know why. Uh, I have no idea, obviously. And anyone who knows this either went to Northwestern (laughs) or is way too into college football. Uh, I'm going to go with B. I'm going with Clayton Thorson. Clayton Thorson. All right. Now, while all four names on this list were Northwestern quarterbacks at one point or another, only Steve Schnoor took home two big uh, titles. I am sorry. It is Steve Schnoor. Oh, that was my other one. I was going to go with either Steve or Clayton. Oh, well. Went to the Rose oh, well. Bowl. Almost pulled off an upset. Still, Northwestern finished in the top 10 that season. It doesn't happen too often. Uh, mm, 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 mm. All right, that's okay. Get it out of your head because we are up to my favorite part of every episode of Felonious Pundits, and that is when we hear, see if you can use your punditry skills to suss out what the plot will be of next week's episode. That's right, Criminal Minds. 
Season 2, Episode 13 is next. Lucky 13. It is entitled, No Way Out. No Way Out. Which of the following four options is the actual plot of this episode? Is it A? Gideon sits down at a diner and hears tales about a prolific serial killer from the serial killer himself. (laughs) Is it B? Hotch discovers an old diary in his attic and flashes back to his first case with the BAU. Is it C? Reed and Prentice get trapped after an explosion at a bank brings rubble raining down on everyone inside. Is it D? The BAU investigates the deaths of several teens, all killed in an elaborate fashion involving escape room styled traps. <laughs> Uh, I just hope to God it isn't B. I've had enough of Hotch looking at books and attics and stuff. And I I don't want to hear any more about his Pirates of Penzance adventure. (laughs) I'm going to go with uh, Choice C, Reed and Prentice at the bank. And uh, they get trapped. Of course, you know, if they were to be in that bank and it would explode and there'd be rubble and everything, they might say that there was no way out. But that is not the correct answer. No, you are going to order up a milkshake, sit on down at a diner, and blurp <laughs> away as Gideon hears all about a prolific serial killer as told to him by said serial killer himself. Wow. Kintad, get ready to meet Frank. Oh. That sounds special. That sounds special. It is a very special episode. Get ready to meet Frank. Ooh, I like the sound of that. (laughs) Maybe we'll... Maybe we'll see Frank more than once uh, with that kind of an intro. Maybe. All right. Well, AJ, guess what? what? As fun as it's as fun as it's been, unfortunately, the fun has to end. No. For this for this week only. That's the episode. That's it for this week. Thank you so much, AJ. Thank you, everybody out there listening, for joining us. We hope you had a great time. As always, please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. Keep keep the trend going. Uh, (laughs) Looking for that third email. Uh, (laughs) You can also uh, follow us uh, on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass... This is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. If you really want to keep a secret, you must also hide it from yourself. George Orwell, 1984.